Hey guys, just a, a quick announcement. We, um, I have surgery coming up on Tuesday. Um, so I will be down for easily two weeks for sure, not be able to do much. Uh, so we won't be meeting for those two weeks. Um, we'll see how things go after that. If I am able to, you know, move around a little bit more, um, I would rather meet, uh, but I will be in a situation, I'm having a triple hernia surgery done, so I will not be able to lift anything. Um, so if that's the case, I'm going to need some help, uh, for some setup and tear down and stuff like that. Uh, you know, typically it's my sons and I who do it, but we, and Scott, when he's able to come in, but we will, if we decide that we're going to be able to meet after that, we're going to need some help with those things, uh, to make sure that we can do it. Otherwise we'll do zoom, you know, for a couple of weeks or whatever it takes, but, uh, Lord willing, if everything goes as, as hopeful or as good as I'm hoping it will, uh, it'll be a short stint and we'll, uh, we'll keep on plugging along, but keep us in prayer. Uh, I also want to update you on Bobby. Bobby has, uh, been released from the hospital, but she now has to, she sold her house here. She moved into, I think it's happy Valley where she ends up going, uh, but she'll be living with her daughter. So, you know, we were hoping eventually we would see Bobby again. We probably won't see Bobby, you know, visiting with us anymore, but she just wanted to let you guys know that, you know, thank you for the prayers and all the stuff she's recovering and uh, doing better, but she's got still quite a bit of a road ahead of her. So continue to pray for her as you think about her. And uh, I told her, you know, one of these days, just pop in and say hi, you know, so we can see her and see how she's doing. But uh, keep her in your prayers, okay? All right. Why don't you guys open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. You might want to also find, uh, just have it kind of ready to go, Luke chapter 1. So Revelation chapter 8 and Luke chapter 1. You know, a couple weeks ago, we obviously had our Easter service last week, so we weren't in the book of Revelation. Uh, But, you know, two weeks ago, we had really a brief intermission of sorts between the sixth and seventh seals that had taken place. You know, where we were given a glimpse into heaven while the world was kind of spinning into chaos right at that moment. The seals were broken. Things were happening at that time. During that time, just as a reminder, we saw 144,000 Jews who were set aside by God and for God for his purposes in the midst of the tribulation period. Along with there was an innumerable gathering of saints that had been there. It says from all nations, tribes, people, and tongues that were crying out in heaven with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Remember there was this, you couldn't count them. There were so many people there that were worshiping the Lord right at that moment. We were informed that those people were the people who were saved and then eventually killed during the Great Tribulation. They, that's how they were at that point and why they were worshiping at that time. Today in Revelation chapter 8, we drop drop back to the earthly happenings, what was going on during this time when the seventh seal is about to be broken. It's about to be open. So in Revelation chapter 8, we begin with the opening of the seventh seal. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. I just want to stop there for a second because remember what was just happening before this moment. I just gave you a recap on it. What were they doing? You had 
trillions of people that were worshiping together, the greatest worship service that had ever existed, I'm sure, nothing like we'll ever experience here on this earth. You had angels worshiping, you had the saints worshiping, you had the 144,000 Jews that were, that were taking part in this. You had all these people that were doing all this worshiping all at the mo- that moment. So you had a lot of stuff going on, and then like a switch, the seventh seal is opened, and there was silence. Now, just try to think about that for a moment. What if like we were up here and it was Drew leading worship because it wouldn't happen to me, but Drew was up here leading worship and he's having, let's say the place is packed and it's, it's so good to see so, so many people here today. Really cool to see everybody here today. Um, but let's say every, che- you know, every chair was taken. We had everybody and we're worshiping and people are singing their hearts out to the Lord and everything is going great. And then right in the middle of that set, Drew just stops And then he just sits there and looks at you. Kind of stops, backs away from the mic, puts down the guitar. Doesn't say a word, doesn't explain anything. Just silence. Now, you would respond probably with silence, right? You'd just be quiet, trying to figure out what was going on for a while anyways. Think about that if that happened for one minute. How awkward one minute of silence is. I mean, we do moments of silence, right? And you see how hard it is for our generation, right? I mean, everybody's like grabbing their phones and looking around. They don't know what to do, right? <gasps> Give me oxygen. I can't breathe. They, they don't know what to do because it's like quiet for a minute. That's 60 seconds. What if it's two minutes? What if it's five minutes? What if he stood up there for 10 minutes? Silence. No explanation. Just silence. 30 minutes. You wonder why that's recorded. 30 minutes of silence. Imagine what that would have been like. No explanation, just silence. Then you have verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God and from the angel's hand. So after about 30 minutes of complete silence, you see another angel come walking up and he has this censer. And he was given much incense and he was instructed With the incense, it was to be offered with the prayers of the saints. And it was supposed to ascend up to the Father as he was doing this before the altar. Picture that as the smoke is kind of burning and it's going up and it's, you know, we know that that's, there are certain things that are a sweet smelling aroma in the presence of the Father. And I believe that would be another instance where you could say that. As the prayers of the saints mixed in with this incense, are going up towards him. It makes me think back to Revelation chapter 6 a little bit at the opening of the fifth seal, which I'll, I'll just put this up on the screen for you. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. This commentator that I was reading on this, he, he just said a phrase that just got my mind going, and he, he pointed out the how long. How long? And it got me thinking about how many how longs are there in the Bible? How long? I just did a simple search on my Bible program. It's not like the old, you know, grab a big old Strong's Concordance and start looking through it, right? I just, it's easy now. You can cheat. And I did how longs, and here's what I found. 28 how longs from God to the people, such as this one in Numbers 14.11, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe in me with all the signs that I have performed among them? So you got 29 of those, or 28 of those, where the Lord is saying, How long? He's asking the question, How long? And I found 19 how longs from men to God. Such as Psalms 94.3 where it says, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Boy, the Psalms are loaded with that question, how long? If you want to do an interesting study, look up how longs in just the the book of Psalms. You'll see a bunch of references where people are crying out to God saying, how long, Lord? How long will this go on? Much like we just read in Revelation as well. Where they're standing before them. And they're saying, how long, God? How long, Lord, will it be till you avenge our blood? As we read once again, then a white robe was given to each of them. He didn't answer the question. He gave them a white robe. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren would be killed as they were, was completed. So he says, I'm not telling you the time. I'm just telling you there's a number that needs to be completed. There's others that will be killed like you were for their faith in me. And once that time finishes, then that will be the time. Along with what we're just reading here in chapter 8, we see that even though God may not act upon every prayer immediately, He will act upon every prayer, this important caveat here, that is aligned with His will. He will act with every prayer that is aligned with His will at the appropriate moment, even after we die. Even after we pass away, these people were dead. And they're sitting underneath the altar and they're saying, How long, Lord? And he says, There's something, there's more that has to take place. Did God not keep that promise to those martyred saints of chapter 6 here in chapter 8? Yes, he did. It was just later. And it made me think, you know, maybe you're still in the chapter 6 of your request to God. 
You know, where you're, where you're crying out to him for something that you need help with, and it's urgent, and it's a crisis, and it's something that you feel like it needs to be taken care of now, and you're like, how long, Lord, until you answer this prayer? How long do I have to keep on enduring this hardship? How long will you allow these people to mistreat me? How long will I struggle financially? How long will I have my health issues? How long will my children be rebelling? Whatever it is, you ask those questions. How long? And you may be in chapter 6 right now, but there comes chapter 8. It's chapter 8 is in his timing, not yours. We see in verse 5, back in chapter 8, it says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So that same angel that had the censer at first with the incense, he took that same incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, scraped it in there, and he cast it down to the earth. Threw that fire down to the earth, resulting in great noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake upon the earth. One commentator, H.B. Sweet, I think it is, it says... The prayers of the saints return to the earth in wrath. That's what you see in this instance. The prayers of the saints returned to the earth in wrath. And that was just the beginning of a new set of judgments that was about to be unleashed, which was the trumpet judgments. Verse 7, you have the first trumpet where the vegetation is struck. It says, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were, thrown, they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burnt up. I want to, be, I want to tell you what my intention is as we get into some of these things. I'm going to do my very best not to allegorize any of this. There may be some instances where I will say my opinion on some things, but allegory is dangerous because it's, it's only limited to the person's imagination and opinion. And you can get into all kinds of weird, bizarre things. I'm not saying that there may not be something that we can relate to somewhere along the way where we go, aha, that's what it was. But it's dangerous for us to presuppose what those things are. <clears throat> I believe that many try too hard to make these things relatable to what we see and what we understand here in our century. And in doing so, I think they can unnecessarily limit the Lord and his judgments. They're trying to say, well, this is going to be a nuclear attack and this is what this is going to be. And they're saying all these things. I believe that what's happening here could be greater than that. It could be such a judgment from God that nothing can explain it. Nothing at all. Nothing like we've ever seen. That's why John is struggling with words as he's trying to explain these things. We're like, oh, he didn't live in our generation. Otherwise, he would have just said it was, you know, it was an Apache helicopter. You know, whatever. It's like, no, I, I think whatever it was was so awesome. He didn't have words to explain it. And sometimes I think in our attempt to explain things in the book of Revelation, we really dumb down what's happening because we're trying so hard to make it fit into our understanding. You've got to be careful with that. That's allegory. And people take off and run with those things, and then they get dogmatic about what it is. And I feel like that's a mistake, personally. Let me tell you what it says here. It says, At the sound of the first trumpet, God unleashed hail and fire that were mingled with blood, and it was cast down to the earth. That's what it says. 
hail and fire that was mingled with blood that was cast down to the earth, which resulted in roughly 33% of all the trees and the green grass on the earth to be burnt up. Think of that. A third of all the grass and all the trees burnt up. I came from Arizona, and right now there's a big fire going on, you know, in northern Arizona. You read it, you're hearing all about it. Here's the thing, you know, and we dealt with that every year in Arizona, you know, and you guys, I'm sure, in New Mexico had the same things besides the rocks, right? But, you know, there's, what it is is the grass just dies so quickly in the summertime. Actually, right before the summertime is the most dangerous because of the summertime, And in those climates, you get the monsoon, so everything greens up at that moment. Everything kind of gets back to life, right? But right before that, everything is dry, and it's just, you know, you don't have much life in any of that stuff. That's when the fires kick in, because you got a really windy season on top of that. So it's just a really bad combination, and these fires, they quickly spin out of control. This says green grass, What kind of heat would it take? What kind of fire would it take? Just think about that. I mean, you know, most of us right now, our lawns are looking pretty good. Maybe pretty bad because they're looking so good right now. You know, I mean, you got so much grass and stuff growing. Try to light it on fire. But don't do that. Okay, but just imagine trying to light it on fire. It wouldn't burn very easily. You know why? Because it's green. There's moisture in it. It's very clear here. This was green grass, green trees. And yet whatever fire came from heaven... It incinerated it. This isn't your normal fire. These aren't the normal conditions. Verses 8 through 9, you have the second trumpet, which the seas were struck. It says, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain. Notice that. Something like. He's like, I I can't quite, I can't tell you what it is. But something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Something like a great mountain. I, I try to picture Mount Hood coming, you know, seeing that on fire coming down. How would you explain that? What would you use to explain that? Whatever it was, was horrific. That resulted in 33%, again, a third of the sea becoming blood, which resulted in 33% of the living creatures that lived in the sea to die, and 33% of the ships that were on them destroyed as well. You talk about supply chain issues? Man, if all the ships, think of it in our current circumstance, if you knocked out 33, we watched off the cult, the the Gulf of California, what was it, 300 ships that were tied up because they couldn't get to the ports, not enough help with all COVID and everything? I mean, man, Frank, you understand this with all the shipping and stuff. It, it created all kinds of problems for all kinds of people, my business, everything. Everybody was affected by this. That was 300 ships. There are hundreds of thousands of containers out there. Imagine if 33% of those cargo ships were knocked out. What would that do to the world? Oh, man. You think about, why do you put ships? Three, who cares about the ships? I'm telling you, that's big for the people who are alive during that time. And then the sea becoming blood. It doesn't say like blood. It said blood. And 33% of the animal life, the marine life in that died? It's insane. Verse 10 through 11, the third trumpet, you have the waters were struck. 
It says, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So once again, some sort of great star falls from heaven, burning like a torch, and somehow 33% of the rivers and springs of water, in other words, the fresh sources of water, were contaminated. I, again, I start thinking about just current conditions, and I, if I, I may be wrong on this estimation. I was trying to remember what I had heard, but I think uh, with gas right now, what do we get? Some like 7% of our gas from Russia? It's not a huge thing. Like 7% was our imports of gas. Look what it's doing to our country on gas, right? Like it's a pretty big deal, right? That, that it's affecting us the way it is, and the whole world is being affected. Imagine you know, all the other countries that are, that are affected in greater ways, that have a greater dependence on this, a reliance upon their gas. That's 7%. That's one country. 7% of one country of what they send. What if 33% of all drinkable water on the earth was gone? Just think about that. A third of all the drinkable water on the earth. What if it was gone? If it was tainted, undrinkable, all at once? Boy, you talk about fear. You talk about, man, it, we're not talking toilet paper at Costco anymore. We're talking like something bad. How do you get water? Can you imagine what the world would be like as everybody's trying to find water to drink? That's hard for us to put our minds around. That star, that star had a, a name. It was Wormwood. And it means bitter or undrinkable. That's why 33% of the population died just from that, not having water. Verse 12, the fourth trumpet, the heavens were struck. Then the fourth angel sounded, and about a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Once again, can you imagine only having 66% of the light that we currently have to live off of? How would that affect everything? You'd be like, I'd be like living in, you know, Alaska during winter or something, right? I mean, it, just the whole world, though, would be affected that way. But it would affect the crops. It would affect everything. It would affect health. It would help. There would be all kinds of consequences from having a third of the light that we live on and that we use to breathe and for all the other stuff that happens in biology that I should have learned better. All those other things cost from light. Imagine how horrible that would be, the consequences of that. Then in verse 13, we see where all the inhabitants of the earth are going to be warned by a supernatural messenger. It says, And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. John looks up and he hears an angel, some translations say eagle, flying through the midst of heaven, warning everyone as he flew over them. 
And once again, he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You'll notice that in Scripture. Whenever there's something that is very, very, very emphatic, it's repeated minimum of two times, oftentimes three. This is very, very, very emphatic. Trying to get a point across. Like, if you think everything that has happened up to this point is bad, hold on. It's going to get much worse. So much so that the Lord sent out a messenger to warn everyone who was remaining, buckle up. Woe to all of you who are alive during this time. You see, up to this point, the first four trumpets consisted of judgments against nature. These were natural things that had consequences. Nature was struck. But the next two in chapter 9 will be directly against the earth's inhabitants. We're not going to get into chapter 9 today. But what I do want to focus on and what I want to remind you of before we leave here today is the first thing. This is a sober reminder that God will do what he has promised to do. God will do what he has promised to do. Just as he freely forgives and shows mercy to all who will receive it. He promises to forgive and to show mercy to all who will freely receive it. He is also holy though. And there will come a time that he will carry out the judgment that he is promising to come. There will come a time where that will happen. Because he's holy and he must keep his promises. I want you to also see here from this passage in in Revelation that God does not misplace any prayers. Again, those that are according to his will, those that line up with his will. He's not like us that maybe you receive so many emails in a day that you go through them and you may have 50, 60 emails a day or some people get hundreds and, and, and some of it is really important stuff, but you can't get back to it immediately. And next thing you know, you completely forgot to respond at all to something that was urgent to someone else, but you're just bombarded with all of these things. God's not like that. He's not like bombarded with all of these requests and like, oh, I see them all, but I can't answer them. I'll get back to it eventually. And then he forgets about it and just deletes it because he doesn't want to deal with it. He's embarrassed because he didn't get back to you for two years. You know, that's not what God does. He doesn't misplace any prayers that line up with what he wants to do. He doesn't do it. Sometimes his response will be delayed and there will be a precise moment of his choosing that he will take action. And sometimes that happens at moments we don't expect. Sometimes we have forgotten about the prayers, but he hasn't. That's why I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of that guy, his wife and the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. 
So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom uh, and to and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Clearly, there was a time in Zacharias's life and in Elizabeth's life, where they were of age to bear children, where they were praying for children. They wanted a child desperately. And they had fervently sought the Lord to cause that to happen. But many years have passed, and that didn't happen. Probably at least 30 years. If they were at a point where they're like, we can't have kids. This, this is not going to happen. Just can't happen at this point. Probably at least 30 years had passed since that time. Perhaps longer. Verse 6 shows us that it clearly wasn't because they had done something wrong. It says they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it wasn't because they had done something wrong. They weren't guilty. This was not punishment. Verse 18 shows us that by that time, the dream of parenting had officially died in their hearts. In verse 18 it says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. He's like, I haven't even thought about this for years. I gave up on this, God. I thought you said no. It clearly didn't happen. But verse 13 we see that God had indeed heard their prayer. And what's interesting to me is it didn't say prayers. It was singular. He heard a specific prayer. It doesn't tell us when. It doesn't tell what the prayer was. It just, he says in verse 13, 
Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. God hears it, even at that moment, because God's outside of time. I would guess that prayer that they prayed that was according to God's will was probably 30 or so years before that time. And yet God says, your prayer is heard. It's before me. It's still there. It's before me at this moment. It's heard. Think of how painful this would have been. I, I never noticed the irony of this situation until just this year, but what was Zacharias doing that day? He was serving in the temple, and what was his responsibility? The incense. And what did the incense represent? Prayer. Can you imagine all those years that he had been doing this? And I guarantee he prayed fervently for a child. And yet he felt like God either said no or just didn't listen to his prayer. And yet his responsibility was to go before the temple, before the altar, and represent the people as their prayers went up to God. I'm sure there was a few times he questioned that. Did it just stop at the ceiling, God? Or did it make it all the way to you? Because you didn't answer my prayer. And then suddenly, this angel shows up when it just so happened that he was supposed to serve that day, chosen by lot, it says. And he says, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And Zacharias is like, what? <laughs> I didn't pray that. What? And the angel's like, oh, this is good news. Oh, it's, it's good. You're going to have a baby, and not just any baby. You're going to have the forerunner of the Messiah. Everyone will rejoice at your child's birth. Everyone is. This is a super important. See, when, when, when Zacharias and Elizabeth were praying this, they had no idea that God said yes. But the timing had to be right before the Messiah. They had no idea. They had no idea. And they had prayed for a son that no doubt they wanted a son desperately, but they had no idea that God was going to give them exceedingly abundantly above anything they could ever ask or think. They would, I guarantee you they were not, Lord, we want a child and we want him to be the forerunner of the Messiah and help him eat bugs. You know, I mean, that wasn't what they were praying for. <laughs> you know? That wasn't their prayer. They wanted a child. And God says, Wait, I've got something far greater for you than you could ever imagine. And when it happened, Zacharias was like, I forgot the dream had died. Life had moved on. He learned to deal with the discouragement, the disappointment in God. Because God didn't answer that prayer. God didn't do it. He learned how to live without it. And we do the same too, don't we? There's things that we pray about and we're like, you know, Lord, 
I, I really feel like this is what you want from me. I really feel like this is what you've called me to do with my life. I really feel like it. And you pray and you're like, this has to be aligned with this will. And maybe there's even confirmation. The Lord confirms it through other people or through the word or whatever it is. And you're like, oh yeah. And you just sit there with anticipation, just waiting like, you know, a kid on Christmas day every day, you know, waking up just like, Lord, what are you going to do? It is this one that's going to happen. And then next thing you know, weeks go by, months go by. Years go by. And there comes a point. Your heart is hardened in a sense that you don't even expect it anymore. Because it hurts to expect it. You were disappointed so many times. That's what I want you to leave with here today. That's the connection. What I had previously mentioned about sometimes you might be in the sixth chapter of your prayer to God. Chapter 8's coming. You may not even be alive when chapter 8 happens. But God doesn't misplace your prayers. There's no prayer expiration date. It's not like it's only good for, you know, six months to a year. Or as long as you keep asking, keep seeking. And, you know, we, we've developed this mentality like if, if we don't just continually ask and continually beg and we don't bring it up all the time, then God, we can't twist his arm into making it happen, right? That's how we interpret that passage. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Oh, I've got to be just, I've got to pester God into this. And if I annoy him enough, he'll give it to me. No. He says, I heard your prayer singular and that was the one that God was answering that day God never misplaces a prayer that's aligned with his will never it may come past come to pass later it may occur in a different way that you thought it would occur, but I promise you this, it will be exceedingly abundantly above anything that you had ever asked or thought of when you made that prayer. And that's the way that God works. And we see that here in this example. If you don't get anything else out of the message today, you know the cool things about all the judgments and stuff that we, we pray that we are not a part of. While we're living, you hold on to this part about prayer. It's essential. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, that we have this example in Scripture and, and that you preserved this for us so that we could be reminded of these things. Lord, we all struggle praying, every one of us. We don't take enough time to do it. We're not sincere enough when we do it. And oftentimes we're not saturated in your word, so we don't even know if the things we're asking for really are according to your will or not. Father, I pray that you help this to develop in our lives. Help us to get better at this. Thank you for not letting our prayers expire. Thank you for answering our prayers even when we have given up. Thank you that you are faithful even with we, when we are faithless. God, I pray that you would just continue to 
work in our hearts and our minds and equip us so that we can do these things better. And we pray that we can rejoice, Lord, in the eighth chapter, even if it's standing before you in heaven. Help us to rejoice at your faithfulness, even when we had doubted you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and close with a couple of songs here.